We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello and welcome to the Her Hoop Stats podcast. I'm Gabe Ibrahim, joined by a very special guest, Greg Bibb, the president and CEO of the Dallas Wings and of Panther City Lacrosse Club. Even though I have a lacrosse background, we will talk only about the Wings here, about the WNBA draft and where this franchise is and get all of Greg's perspective. So how are you doing today, Greg? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on and especially right after this draft, which I thought you guys made some very interesting picks that could affect the rest of your franchise. Um, before we get started, though, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to the YouTube channel or follow us on whatever podcast thing you listen to us on. Follow us on Twitter and make sure you get all that so you can keep up with us as the WNBA season starts. But yes, let's take it back to the draft. The Dallas Wings had only one first round pick this year. Was this when was the last time you only had one first round pick? I don't remember. <laughs> uh 2016 probably wow i think 2017 we definitely did did Mm -hmm. not Uh, i have to look in 2018 the years kind of run together um but it's been a minute for sure i think i'm looking at 2018 and that might be it that might be it but regardless you only have one and you used it on Veronica Burton out of Northwestern, who is a prospect that a lot of people loved. Obviously, I was, I'm was i a fan of hers in college. I got to watch her a ton uh, working with Christy Warren Scott of the Big Ten Network. So we talked a lot about Veronica Burton. So I want to hear from you, though, from an on-court perspective, why was Veronica the pick? Well, I think she's, she's a player that obviously, if you look at the statistics, both traditional and advanced, she looks very good. Um, And we can talk about that if you want, but for me, it was a lot of the intangibles. I think she's a floor general. I think she's a leader. You know, that Northwestern team this year was really young. They lost Mm -hmm. a key player early on um, and it was really on her. Um, And in talking to her, talking to her coaches, 
Um, I was really impressed by the role she took as the on-court leader of that team um, and how she led that team in a very tough Big Ten. Uh, I also uh, love the way that she runs an offense. I love the way that she controls um, what's happening on the floor. Uh, she's, you know, again, she's that floor general. So uh, I think she's a great teammate. I think she's willing to do whatever a team needs uh, to be successful. Um, and then beyond that, you know, the statistics, she gets a lot of credit for her defense. And I think that's justified and we can certainly discuss it. I think she's an undervalued offensive player. She didn't shoot the ball exceptionally well this year. She had the ball in her hand a lot late in shot clock situations, and that usually doesn't translate to high efficiency. So I think her numbers were a little bit damaged artificially this year mm -hmm. by situation. Um, I think she's a better offensive player than people give her credit for. Obviously, she's one of the premier passers in the country. Uh, she was top 10 in assist, top 10 in assist to turnover ratio. Um, so headline around her is always defense, but I think offensively, she's a pretty good player too. Then when we talk about fit for us and where mm -hmm. I think she can help us, you know, we have obviously put an emphasis, uh, on things that aren't necessarily related to putting the ball in the basket right now. Uh, we have plenty of players that can put the ball in the basket. We mm -hmm. need some other things. And I think Veronica fit that bill for us. No, and I, I totally agree with that. Um, the idea that she is undervalued offensively, because I, I think a lot of the attention is about her defense and the defense is awesome. Let uh, me like the steal rate, I think was bonkers this year. Again, after, after a bunch of years of doing it. Yeah. 5.4. I mean, that is eighth in the country, second in the country before 10th in the country before that, but she does play in the blizzard defense. So like, I thought her selling point was her offense. Is that an fair assessment? Or is that just part one part of what she does? I, I think it's one part. I think, okay. as I said, I think her offense is undervalued. So I wanted to start there because I don't think there's been enough mm -hmm. conversation about it. Defensively, she plays in a hybrid in the blizzard. Mm -hmm. it, it, it does skew numbers yeah. a little bit, um, but I have watched her for four years now. Um, I think the the talk around her defensively is justified. Yes. I think the statistics obviously can be skewed a little bit by the system which she plays in, but I think she is that kind of defensive player. I anticipate her to translate to that kind of defensive player for us. And again, defense was a priority for us coming out of last season. And we really addressed it first uh, with the Tierra McCowan mm -hmm. deal and getting that rim protecting presence we hadn't had on the interior. And we think Veronica helps us on the perimeter. Uh, and by the way, it's, when we talk about players and how they can help us, it's not just about in this season, the 36 times they're going to step on the court and play a game against somebody else. They help us in practice as well, get better in areas where we need to get better. So uh, I think it's important to recognize that this isn't about a 36 a time, yeah. 36 time a year thing. This is about a holistic collectively approach. And so what, what, in her game or in talking to her and talking to her coaches, what stood out in that regard in terms of, you know, the stuff that we're not going to see yep. as fans. Yep. So what stuck out stuck out and what believe helps me believe that she's going to translate particularly defensively is her preparation. She loves to prep. She loves video. Uh, she loves to go into a situation, understanding who she's playing, what their tendencies are. And I think you'll be challenged to find a player who is better prepared for who she's playing next than Veronica Burton. Her post-draft comment yeah. gave you a little insight into that. 
when her first comments were about going home to watch video to see where Enrique and Marina liked the ball. That wasn't hyperbole. That was her being her. That's what she does. So I think she will over-prepare like she's over-prepared her entire career. And again, hopefully that's contagious and it helps the rest of our team become better in that part of their game. Yeah, no, as a, as a fellow video, not that it's that warm my soul when she said that in the post-draft conference. And, and it is, I mean, that has followed her, that reputation of being extremely prepared. And you could see it in her game too, definitely um, on defense. But like you're saying, on offense, she does set up her teammates in, in kind of the perfect spot and just a matter of whether a shot goes in or not. And you guys are very lucky to have a lot of shot makers and, right. and play finishers on this team. Um, so it was, it was nice to see that they were excited about that. Um, but so what, is she, is the idea here that she is the point guard of the future? Or is she going to be a guard of the future? I think she comes in and she competes. We have a lot of good guards already in the roster. And I always say when we make a trade or we draft a player, it's about that player. It's not about the players we already have. So we're going to start training camp here on Sunday. I expect an extraordinarily competitive training camp. Mm -hmm. I like competitive training camps. I think that helps you get the best roster coming out of camp possible. Um, competition is good. Having too many good players is far better than not having enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's the environment we're going to have in camp in general this year. And I think particularly in our backcourt, we're going to have that environment. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of good uh, backcourt talent there with Marina and Enrique and uh, Mo Jeff and everyone there. So that Harris and and Ty Harris as well. Um, So is it going to, is ever an issue though? If like some, I don't, I haven't, necessarily looked at the uh, overseas stuff yet but is everyone do you expect everyone to be in camp on sunday no so we will have 14 when we open camp on sunday we'll have four that will not be back from their overseas commitments again in the WNBA, rosters are at 12 when you start the regular Mm -hmm. season rosters can be at 15 in terms of number of players in camp and you can be beyond that as long as you don't have physically more than 15 at any time so we will have 18 on our training camp roster, but we will only open camp with 14 and we will never be beyond the 15 at any given time. So um, again, we have a full, full camp. Uh, It will be a competitive camp. And in my mind, that is what's going to help us arrive at the best 12 to start the season. And so for the evaluation in camp, like with those players that aren't there is, is that, does that hurt your evaluation? Just like, there's not that direct competition. I know you can probably look at them and say, Oh, they do this. And you know, this person does that. But it, does that hurt when you don't have that direct competition? I mean, would you love to have everyone day one? Yeah. Of course, but that's not the reality of, of our situation right now. You know, the four that are are going to open camp late for us um, are a walk, um, mm-hmm. Kayla Thornton. Uh, both of those players are currently in the Italian League playoffs. And then Sierra and Satu are playing in the Turkish League playoffs. Right. So um, we expect them, you know, they could be back as early as late first week of camp or as late as after the regular season starts. So it's just a reality of what we deal with. You know, those four players, uh, you would have to assume are going to be part of the roster moving forward at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that is interesting. But it seems like you have the whole backcourt. So people going to Dallas Wings camp, send, send me some clips. And, and we, you know, we didn't draft a, a four or five per se. Jazz right. Bond maybe could play some four, but she translates more to a three in our league. Um, but we added Unique Thompson. As mm-hmm. a training camp signee, she's a, a four or five 
We added Morgan Birch, who we drafted a couple of years ago. Last year, she was in Connecticut. She's mm -hmm. a three, four uh, and Destiny Walker as well. So we've added additional pieces to help bolster that front court uh, during the early stages of training camp. Yeah, I kind of wanted to get into those uh, those second round picks, or I'm sorry, the third round picks that you just mentioned, Jazz, Jazz Bond being one of them, and then Jasmine Dickey, um, who I got a chance to watch in the tournament. I, I thought she was brilliant. She's one of the most dynamic, like off-the-bounce scorers, I think, in college basketball this year, Jazz Bond, dead-eye shooter. So, you know, outside of those two things that I think we've all talked about with them, what else caught your eye for, for bringing them into training camp? High character players. You know, I think mm -hmm. we have, when we started this rebuild, Gosh, now we're almost three, four years into it. How time flies. Yeah. Uh, we kind of calibrated what we were looking for, both in terms of the, the metrics and also the person. Uh, and we've really worked hard to build a, a group of players here that have a lot of common traits. And I think Jasmine and Jazz, along with Veronica, have those kind of, of traits. In terms of their on-court, you're right. Jasmine Dickey, one of the best scorers in college basketball the last couple of years. She was third this year, I believe, in Division mm -hmm. One, scoring a little over 25 points per game. She played at a quote-unquote mid-major, so everyone wants to discount the ability. We'll see how it translates, but I, I am of the opinion if you're a scorer at that level, you're going to be able to score anywhere, and I think it was obviously a very small sample size, but I think she demonstrated that in the tournament game against Maryland. I think she had 31, if I recall, yes. in that game. She shoots the ball at a pretty high uh, efficiency, mid-range. She's a little bit old school, right? That long mm -hmm. start the mid-range game. She may be the best in America at it. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the three-point three shot needs to develop further to be a player in our league. Uh, I like her size at, at 5'10". I like her athleticism. Um, she was really good coming out of high school in the greater Baltimore area. Yep. Uh, ironically, she was a AAU teammate of uh, Mia Cloudens. Oh, right. Uh, we grew up together and played together. Um, so there's some connectivity and some interesting backstory there. But I just really like her as a player. Um, you know, when you get drafted in the third round of the WNBA, it, you know, you have a long road to go. But she's going to come in here. We don't draft anyone just to draft them. We draft players thinking they have the ability to compete for a roster spot. She's going to come in. She's going to compete. She's going to have the opportunity everyone else has to show what she has to be a WNBA player. In terms of Jazz Bond, um, Jazz Bond, someone that um, I had first seen play, I think, when she was at South Florida. She transfers to North Florida. Um, her North Florida team, in particular this year, not so strong. So she's a little under the radar. Um, but I like her size. Uh, I like her ability to shoot the basketball with her size. Um, it's an unfair comparison because there's only one of these, but she looks and feels a little bit like Dewana Bonner. Again, not saying she's Dewana Bonner. That's unfair to her. Yes. Um, but that's the kind of game she reminds me of. Really smart kid, good kid, um, excited to be here. Uh, so she'll come in and she'll have an opportunity to compete too. Yeah, so we definitely have to come back to Nia Cloudin because I don't know if you've heard this podcast before, but I love talking about Nia Cloudin. I want to I want to get your perspective on some of the other guards in this draft. But you mentioned you mentioned a couple of things in terms of character and and being able to come in and compete immediately. So is that the most important thing for a third rounder? Is someone you could see not not only being a player, but also that high character to to come in and say I'm just going to compete no matter what the odds are. I think it's important for everyone on a roster to have that mentality. And we have our orientation meeting on, on Saturday uh, prior to starting camp. And part of my open remarks is just about that. You know, as a player, you spent your entire life working mm -hmm. for this moment. 
you basically have three weeks to get across the goal line. You have to come every day, every practice, every drill, every rep, and give it 110% because this is your window after decades in many cases of work, Mm -hmm. we're down to three weeks. So you have to bring it every day for three weeks because you're at the one yard line of a lifelong dream. It's the toughest yard you're going to have to gain, not to turn this into a football conversation <laughs> or a metaphor, but um, that's that's a conversation. So you look for kids that are, are young ladies that are going to come in um, and have that mentality that they feel like they belong, mm-hmm. they deserve the opportunity, and they're going to go compete regardless of where they came from um, in their college career. No, and that's uh, I, I've heard that a lot just to make sure that people are coming in and competing because I feel like it is difficult to come in and do that and I think you know that that's been a common refrain of just making sure that character is there the other thing though with Jazz uh, Bond in particular is she's 24 so she had an extra year right um uh, in uh, in the transfer from South Florida so is that does that make a player a little more attractive in the third round like because they're a little bit more mature am I overthinking that yeah I mean it doesn't hurt but it wasn't a a part of our uh, decision-making process where we saw, oh, Hey, jazz is 24. That's it. Let's, let's <laughs> yeah. go. Um, it doesn't hurt. Maturity is always a good thing, um, but it wasn't a, a driving factor in our decision. Okay. Um, okay. Let's, let's bring it back to Nia Cloud and, uh, and the other guards in this draft. Cause you took, you took Veronica I believe she was the first guard taken unless my memory is failing me. Oh, I guess Lexi Hall is technically Lexi Hall, depending on how you define her. Yeah. I would say Veronica was the first guard taken because it makes for a better podcast. But um, so why why Veronica over some of these other guards? I'm sure you know you, you scouted for years. Um, you know, if could you just compare and contrast some of the some of the players that are up there, maybe Nia Cloud and um, you know Pointer Williams, those type of players. So we had two players at the top of our draft board based on picking seven and, and trying to calculate how the draft would go realistically. Mm-hmm. Who, who we could get at the top of that board were Veronica and Nia. Okay. Uh, I've watched a lot of Cloudens games. I love Cloudens game. I happened to be in Florida watching uh, the Florida oh, yeah. uh, Michigan State game where she dropped 50 uh, and was amazing. Uh, there's a lot I like about her. But again, coming back to us and what we already have mm-hmm. versus what we believe we need, that leaned us a little bit more toward Veronica's game than Nia's game and not that Nia can't do those things but I think the strength of Nia's game first and foremost is her ability to get a bucket Um, and we don't need that as much as we need some of the other things so it was a very hard decision love both players Uh, at the end we just felt like Veronica was a little bit of a better fit for us right now I have no doubt in my mind Nia Clown is going to be an amazing WNBA player and I think Connecticut being able to draft her at 12 yeah Everyone has their version of what is the steal of the draft, and we won't know for a couple of years. But for me, if I'm picking a steal of the draft right now, candidly, I think Kurt Miller in Connecticut may have gotten it at pick 12. All right. That's music to our ears. Uh, not that we don't love, not that we don't love Veronica Burton around here. It's just me. I, I watch so much of Nia um, and that Billy off the bounce and, and to score and get a bucket. I do, I, I understand though where, where you're coming from because, you know, that it, your team is so bucket heavy, you know, Asatu with uh Arike with Alicia Gray who I think you know people kind of don't talk enough about how much she can score on her own um so I guess that brings us to the current roster and what you have going on um 
does, does it feel like the core of this team is kind of finally firmly set with Enrique's extension? I think we're transitioning from a, a rebuild situation to a team ready to take the next step. Mm-hmm. You know, the way we went about this was long and hard. Uh, and it, it, it comes along with a fair amount of pain, um, far more losses than wins. Um, but I feel like now after the last three drafts and the progress we've made on the court, um, we're, we're at that place. Now, last year, we qualified for the playoffs. Obviously our playoff stint was short. We lost, but we lost the eventual champion, you know, think back to that game, despite how much we talked about it trying to translate the playoffs are different than regular season. When, when you're a new team and you haven't done it, you have to go through it. And we, I think we were down 18 in the first half of that game. But what I loved about us in that game, we fought back in the second half. We didn't pack it in and call it a year. Twice we had the ball down three. If we hit a shot and tie the game, who knows what happens from there. But Connecticut, better team that night, more experienced team. They put us away and they go on a run and they win the championship. I love that experience for us. And I, I've mentioned this before, going into the locker room after the game, completely different environment than what I felt here before. Obviously, when any team ends a season, everyone's disappointed, right? If you're not, you're in the wrong business. But the level of disappointment in that room and the level of belief that it was the start of something mm-hmm. rather than the end of something, it was tangible. You could feel it. And it really got me excited right away about where we're heading. Now we come into this season, we've added a new element we didn't have before in Tierra McAllen. We've gotten better in the draft. We're going to have an ultra competitive camp. I like where we are right now. I like where we're heading. Uh, And the expectation internally has increased as we head into this year. The other factor here that you have to remember is along with all the rookies last year, all the second year players, you had a brand new coaching staff. You had a head coach, new head, head uh, staff, mm-hmm. new system. Everyone's got to learn each other on the fly in a very short training camp and, and season. We have all that behind us now. The core group comes back, the coaching staff comes back, and we're not starting from scratch. From scratch. We're starting somewhere down the line. When you play in the WNBA, you're playing against players that have been professionals for a decade or more. You're playing with groups that have played together for years and years and years. It's really hard to overcome that when you're a new team with a lot of young players. I don't think we're going to be the youngest team in the league this year. I haven't done the math yet, but I don't think we will be. When you look at us, we're still young, but you think about like an Alicia Gray, six years in, Kayla Thornton, seven years in, Arike now four years in, mm-hmm. uh, Marina four years in, uh, three years in. Tierra four years in, we're not a team of first and second year players anymore. We're in a different place in many ways. And that's what's exciting about this year and the years to come. And so how do you kind of, I guess, massage the expectations and the pressure? Like, is your job more to put the pressure on or try to just let it, let it happen? Uh, There's plenty of pressure externally. I think my job's more about accountability. Okay and setting expectation internally of, of who we are and what we want to become. Um, and again, that is, a, that is a moving target based on the realities of where you are. The conversation this year, we could not have had last year or certainly the year be, before it would have been, it would have been genuine. Mm-hmm. Now I think we're at that place, okay? We qualified for the playoffs last year. 
It's no longer about we just need to get ourselves into the playoffs. We've taken that step. That's behind us. We got to look forward. What's the next step for us? And for me, the next step for us is winning a playoff series, right? We haven't done that. So that's the next step for me. Um, obviously, there's a lot of factors that go into that. In our league, health at the end of the season plays a huge factor in who wins and who doesn't because the margin between the very best and the very worst in our league is like that. Mm -hmm. Health plays a huge part in that. But that aside, the expectation certainly has increased this year. And so how has your how has your job changed in particular from you know when you got to Dallas to to now, you know, dealing with everything you've dealt with and now having this chance to kind of take that next step? Has your job changed a lot? I don't think our job has changed because while the expectation of the result uh, has moved, the expectation of how we go about our business, mm -hmm. primarily off the court, has never wavered. Uh, and we continue to look to improve it as an organization in terms of how we invest, particularly into the players. Uh, you know, we, we continue to add layers in terms of the category of what I call player health and well-being. Uh, we continue to look to add resources to put our players and our coaches in the best possible situation to do their job, which is to win. So I don't think we've changed our approach as much as we've just changed the expectation of the end result. I see. Um, and then what are those like, what are the resource next steps? Because, um, you know, I, I've talked to a bunch of WNBA folks and just talking about like where where are the resources going to be most efficiently allocated going forward. And I feel like that's changing a lot. It's almost changing by the day due to COVID and everything. But where where do you see the sort of um, resource allocation going and where do you want to be most efficient in that in that realm? It continues to be player focused and player yep. first. We have long, I think, over-indexed in terms of the medical and support staff mm -hmm. we have put around our team. Uh, we've had at least one team psychologist on staff, for example, mm -hmm. with us since day one in Dallas. Uh, we've added a nutritionist. Uh, we've added some player movement specialist. Uh, we've added a coordinator of player well-being. We've added an assistant trainer. We've added a team masseuse. So we continue to add additional support around that group of players, again, to give them an optimum opportunity to be successful. Uh, and obviously, again, back to my previous comments, a lot of that has to do with health. We want our players to feel good, be confident in wh where they are with their health, and to perform to their optimal level. And how do you, how do you kind of manage that when they're not in, in market for, you know, the majority of, of a year? You know, can, how can you, like, help their health from afar. It's a unique challenge of the WNBA, but it's really about communication, okay. you know, taking care of them while they're here, giving them a plan as they leave to depart to do their work overseas, mm -hmm. uh, and then be in constant communication with them, making sure they're on task and also being responsive to anything they may need if something arises overseas. And then as soon as they get back, reassess, and again, adjust that plan accordingly so that they are being taken care of the entirety of the summer. Yeah. And that, and th those are the types of things I've, I've heard a lot is the health and, and health and wellness is really where um, resources are going in the WNBA. And, and, and like you mentioned, I think the, the challenge of it is more interesting than in pretty much any other league because you don't have those players in market. Um, so I, I'm really interested to see how, how you're, how, you know, you guys handle it, how other teams handle it. Um, and hopefully we get more and more investment into those areas because it helps the players. But this is her hoop stats. 
So I do have to ask one question, like in terms of the future of the league, what are the, some of the analytics that you're looking around, like the NBA, for example, and saying, man, I wish we had that. Like what, where, where can those analytics and stats um, improve on our side of the ball? Yeah, there, there's two, two areas in particular, I think I mentioned one is like um, tracking capabilities, sure. having a better understanding in games and in practice around the movement um, and usage uh, of players on the court. Uh, I think that's an important one for us, the technology uh, around that and the wearables in particular. And wearables is a, is a broad category that a term has been applied to, and there's a lot in that. But for sake of our time, I'll just say wearables. Um, and then the second one for me, um, I would love for us to figure out a way to have an opportunity to better engage with potential players, draft prospects in advance of the draft. You know, we don't have an opportunity to have that one-on-one -on -one engagement mm. with them outside of kind of what we're doing here today, which is a Zoom call, basically, uh, in advance of the draft. When you think you look at our NBA counterparts in terms of the opportunities they're given to bring a player in, assess them, do medical evaluation, measurements, you know, it's funny, but like I've actually sent a a person, a scout to a game, had them sit courtside so that when the player walked by, they could stand up and try to figure out exactly how tall is that player ah. based on who's sitting there. And we always ask the question, we talk in the Zoom, okay, how tall are you? Okay, how tall is that with shoes on versus how tall is that without shoes on? We, sh I think we can do better in that area. Now, we have challenges that the NBA doesn't have. We are starting our season right after the NCAA mm -hmm. season ends. And obviously there's the the eligibility and the NCA stuff, but I think we, we need to figure out a way to, to better assess potential players from a statistical and metric non-playing perspective uh, prior to draft. So that, uh, I think I said the last thing was going to be my last question, but now that you brought that up, that was actually like one of the things I'm most interested in is like, when can you actually get your, your uh, this is uh, metaphorical, when can you get your hands on a player in, in this process? Because you can't talk to them in the college season, right? Or is that, I don't know how eligibility would work in that situation. We talk to them once they've renounced okay. uh, their eligibility. We have the opportunity to talk. Um, usually it's, it's like this. We're talking like this. Um, there's very little, if any, physical interaction. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, it's okay because we all are on the same playing field in our league. Uh, and there are challenges and it's not the fault of anybody that it is the way it is. Um, but if you're asking me aspirationally, what would I like to see? Yeah. Um, it's the wearables and the trackability of player performance. And how do we, how do we better evaluate players based on physical aspects and not as much the playing aspects, the playing we've got covered. It's the other stuff that I'd right. like to see us have a better opportunity to evaluate. And so is that, did that make this year? Cause I think this year is pretty much the first year we could do in-person scouting for an entire season. Did that make that m more important in your eyes this year than, than maybe what you were doing in the past two? I, I value in-person scouting, which, you know, we were doing before COVID. Yeah, yeah. Um, not so much for anything other than being able to see a player in a way you can't see them on television. Mm -hmm. So I love to watch a player when they check out of a game, how do they interact with their coach, how do they interact with their teammates. I love to watch a player when they're on the bench. Um, how are they 
engaged or not engaged with the game? How are they being supportive or not supportive of their teammates? I like to be in person for those kind of things. You know, by the time we get close to a draft, we have seen a player that we're considering, I don't know, a dozen times right. over the course of the college career. There's very little you're going to see in a game that you haven't already seen. Very little you're going to see a game in person that you haven't been able to see on television. It's all the other stuff that I get value from being in venue to see. All right. All right, Greg. Well, hey, I really appreciate all the time and the insight. I know you got to get going because uh, you're, you're a busy man who wears a lot of hats. Um, so I, I really, really appreciate the time. I think we learned a lot and, uh, best of luck to you guys this season. Obviously we will all be watching a lot right here on her hoop sets. All right. Well, thank you for having me. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.